Merry Christmas and welcome to Truths That Transform. We have a very special program to bring you as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ into the world. I am privileged to occupy the pulpit that was built by my pastor and mentor, Dr. D. James Kennedy, at the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale. Dr. Kennedy knew that there was a lot of false revisionist history being promoted about Jesus and the movement he inspired. That's why Dr. Kennedy wrote his best-selling book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born, with co-author Jerry Newcomb, to refute the skeptics and encourage Christians with the transformative power of Jesus. On today's program, we're going to share with you part two of the brand new documentary program we've based on that classic book. What better way to celebrate the advent of Jesus than by seeing the impact of his life extending through history and transforming the world even today. Once people get hung up on theology, they've lost sanity forever. More people have been killed in the name of Jesus Christ than any other name in the history of the world. Govidal. Critics of Christianity have accused Christians over the centuries of being murderous, but the historical facts say otherwise. What did Jesus, being the Word made flesh, really teach concerning the value of human life? You don't have to read more than about page two into the Bible before you have this idea of what we call, use the Latin for it, the Imago Dei. Humans are made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says God created humankind in his image. He created them male and female. He created them. So we ascribe value uh, to human beings just by virtue of being a human being. Uh, legal philosophers and uh, uh, academics refer to this as human dignity. Now human dignity refers to the idea that each of us has an innate and an ineradicable value simply by virtue of being a human being. To think of human being as uh, creatures that have a unique dignity, that came from the fact that God had become man. The incarnation of Christ is the foundation of faith in human dignity. His death on the cross became the standard of value. How precious is a human being? Before Jesus came, life was exceedingly cheap. For example, babies were routinely thrown away if the family decided they didn't want them. Women were so devalued that they were often killed at birth. They were exposed. Exposed means they were put out to die of exposure or be eaten by wild animals. They could just you know, throw it away and leave it out to, to die. And the Christians would go around and rescue the children that were left to die like that. Women and children were treated uh, in the worst possible way. I mean, in the Greek or Roman culture uh, just treat them like chattel. I mean, there was no, no respect for the human life. The great philosopher Aristotle believed that women and slaves were naturally inferior beings. You were not supposed to speak to a woman in public. And the most um, paradigmatic example was the woman at the well. Notice when the disciples come back, they don't say, they were surprised he was talking to a Samaritan. They say, he was surprised he was talking to a woman. <laughs> that was more offensive, you know, to the culture at the time. So th what the Christian says to that then is, how dehumanizing. You basically say, I'm stuck in a box. And why would I want to accept a worldview like that? <laughs> 
and wherever the gospel at its best has gone, you've seen a rise in the status and the appreciation of women. One only need look at the non-Christian world to see how Christianity uniquely improved the lot of women. We don't have to forever live in our sins, that, that God can transform us to be a new person, a new creation. That's completely foreign to cultures that have no Judeo-Christian influence. And I, I do think that women suffer more in these cultures because women are treated as lesser than human beings, even subhuman. Um, they're abused in horrible ways. As Christianity spread, many cultural practices that devalued women were ended due to Christian missionaries taking a stand for the value of a woman's life. One of the ugliest blights of human rights abuses in world history has been the practice of slavery, which still continues today. Slavery is the norm, sadly, in human history. Abolition is the novelty. And we should be grateful that it was followers of Jesus who were on the side of abolition and reform. In everything, do unto others as you would have done unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Matthew 7, verse 12. So, this idea that we must love our neighbor as ourselves, this is not a common sense idea. Prior to the historical influence of Christianity on our planet, the majority of human beings were regarded as somebody else's property. Christian teaching about the inherent value and dignity of every human being, uh, Galatians 3 talks about there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus, uh, and the way in which early Christians treated uh, slaves as brothers and sisters, what we can say is that Christian teaching and the gospel lit a fuse which eventually led to the explosion that destroyed slavery. William Wilberforce is a wonderful example of a Christian motivated by their faith to make a difference in the world. His heart was really touched by the plight of slaves in the transatlantic slave trade. He saw that this was an evil, that it was a direct violation of Christian teaching in which we should value every human being regardless of colour, ethnicity, culture, etc. So he worked tirelessly along with others from the Clapham sect and, and, uh, and uh, to, to really try to work towards the abolition of the slave trade. Wherever Christianity has become influential, slavery has withered away. This is primarily due to the Christian belief in a creator and a common origin of all human life. A distorted view of common origin is Darwin's theory of evolution, which attempts to explain creation without a creator. Historically, when this theory has been put into practice, it produced devastating consequences for humanity. You look at the Nazis. They were totally pagan. They were anti-Christian in what they did. They didn't view human beings as made in the image of God. They felt that we were just evolved, and some were more evolved than others. And some, they even put in the categories of, these are lives not worth living. And so they actually systematically killed them in order to create a master race. And in no way do I minimize the heinous, blood-stained hands of the Nazi war criminals. But it would take Adolf Hitler times 12 to equal the number of human beings that have been killed since Roe versus Wade. 
Abortion at its root has the very same evolutionary ideology which has led to millions of deaths worldwide. Abortion says, wait a minute, there are some humans that don't have the right to life. They say, well, the, the fetus is human, but it's not a person. As long as you're just a body, you can be killed for any reason and then tossed out with the other medical waste, which is exactly how medical journals talk about it, medical waste. Christianity says that we're each of eternal significance, that God knew us before we were formed. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Euthanasia is the same logic, just in reverse. If abortion says you're human at one point, but not a person, until you have certain cognitive abilities, euthanasia says if you lose those cognitive abilities, you're no longer a person. So, again, what Christians are saying is we, we have a much higher view of the human being. As long as you're human, you're a person and you have the full rights and dignity of a human being. Christianity says, no, you're made in God's image, and you have the liberty of the child of God. Christian theology, beginning with the Jewish scriptures, believes and teaches that human beings are created in the image of God and are thus inherently valuable. It's a Jesus-influenced culture where each life is considered eternally and immeasurably valuable. And cultures without Christ are invariably cultures that value human life less. Jesus tells us that his Father knows us so well that he has numbered each of the hairs on our head. Indeed, there is no one, not a single person anywhere, who is unimportant to God. And as a result, God and his Son Jesus Christ profoundly transform individual lives. Casey Diaz is one powerful example some of my early uh, memories as a child are uh, pretty normal. Uh, pretty much as well, sports, very innocent. Being kids, but what was happening inside the home, that, that was a problem. Both Casey and his mother endured regular beatings at the hands of his alcoholic father. Casey's mom, bearing the full financial burden of the household, worked several odd jobs to provide some level of stability. Uh, as a kid, I, I, I really actually liked school. Uh, elementary was, was a happy place for me. And I remember having a pen, a pen pal. And then came the, the time where we got to go and meet our pen pal. So that, to, to, that was exciting. And I remember seeing instructions of uh, getting your parents to buy a, a kite uh, for you uh, for this trip. And I knew that we, didn't, we weren't in a position to go purchase a kite. And I didn't want to bother my mom. I think growing up in Los Angeles, you knew when you were, when you were broke. My pen pal, he, he asked me, he said, well, where's your kite? And I said, I forgot it. Um, and he said, well, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll build mine, right? And so the kite's built and the teacher counts to three and all the kids run, and I don't know what happened to me, but I just froze. I was raised in the Rampart District of Los Angeles. Uh, at that time in the 80s uh, is where uh, gangs started to really take hold of com communities. Hip-hop culture hit the mainstream, and gangs were constantly making national headlines, while in L.A.'s marginalized communities, 
Wide-eyed kids like Casey were oftentimes caught in the crossfire. I was dangling my, my legs from the, the fire escape. That was kind of like my place where I went to get away from things. And the guy gets out of the car and he guns down three people. And I'm watching this whole thing. And he just drove off. After witnessing the, the, the murder of these three young men, his emotions start to turn off. You start to become calloused. The safety of home was of little comfort to Casey since his mom was busy trying to provide and his father was far from being a role model. I still remember my father taking me into the kitchen. I could almost still smell the liquor in his mouth. He pulled up a chair and grabbed me by my shoulders, telling me at around seven or eight years old, you know, don't call me dad, and shaking me. As a kid, I, that really uh, changes something inside of you. It was easy for me to destroy things after that. At the age of 11, Casey met a popular teenager who enticed him into the gang culture of Los Angeles, promising the one thing he had been yearning for as a child. He said, it's like family. It's like family. And uh, for some reason, that just kind of like hit me because I didn't have that. Casey gradually became involved in robberies, car thefts, stabbings, and was getting expelled from one middle school after another, a trend which continued into his high school years. Uh, I enjoyed the, the adrenaline. I enjoyed the violence. I think what, what fueled my violence was just watching the violence that took place in my home, in our apartment and then mixed with the violence that I saw on the streets. And every one of my victims, I put the face of my father, and that made it so much easier. Casey's victims were invariably rival gang members, and because of his fearsome reputation, he quickly began to rise in hierarchy amongst the street gang members. He became known as a shot caller, a gang leader able to call the shots even while locked up in jail. Barely 19 years of age, Casey landed in New Folsom State Prison, known for housing the most hardened criminals in the state of California, where he was immediately sent to solitary confinement. If I were to describe an 8 by 10 cell, uh, if you look at a parking spot, you, you had a mat that was about two inches uh, thick and a concrete slab uh, to sleep in, you had a toilet, a sink uh, that was attached, and that's it. You're housed there for 23 hours out of the day. There are no windows inside the cells at all. After almost a year in solitary confinement, a perfect stranger who was very active in prison ministry said she would be praying for him. She said, well, I'm going to put you on my prayer hit list. Jesus loves you. and he's gonna use you. It had no effect on me at that moment. I kinda of just thought, this lady's crazy, man. Does she even know where she's at? Casey credits that stranger's prayer and intercession over a year and a half 
for paving the way so he would have an encounter with Christ while in solitary confinement. I don't know if it was day or night, but um, then against my wall, I start to see a movie projecting on the wall and hearing the sound, that, that distinctive sound that was very clear. And, and it was just my story. And I start to see actual crimes that I had committed from people that I, that I had hurt. And I saw this, this man again carrying this cross and he gets to the point where the nails are driven through his hands, his feet, and the cross is lifted up. And I still didn't understand any of this. Virtually no one knew Casey's real name, since that was a nickname he had given himself as a child. And, and he says, he says, uh, Darwin, I did this for you. Nobody had ever told me how to pray, but I got in the center of that cell and I wept. I got so raw with God. And I remember telling God, uh, I'm sorry. I knew that something had just changed inside of me. That peace and that freedom that I got to experience in an eight by 10 cell when I turned my life over to Christ, it had everything to do that with sin no, no longer having a hold of me. The Bible says that he leads us into all truth. He's our teacher. And my eyes just started to really open and my heart started to understand that this, this is God's word. I'm reading this Bible every time I'm awake. Before coming to Christ, Casey was known as a shot caller who could put a hit on someone by simply passing out a small rolled up note called a kite to another inmate. I knew that the other inmates couldn't talk to me anymore. And I used that, that very same system and I wrote kites, but these kites were different. I would write out Bible scriptures and their little notes about how Jesus could change their lives. Although Casey endured many beatings for leaving the gang and was often left unconscious, he never stopped passing out kites to other inmates sharing the gospel. There was a revival. Men started coming to Christ through these kites, one by one. And the next thing you know, uh, you know there was one, two, three, four, eight, and on and on it went. Within a two-year period, there was over 200 inmates that would come to Christ through these kites. Much to his surprise, Casey was released from prison six years before his sentence was completed, reunited with his mother, and started working and earning an honest living in LA. Uh, my uncle uh, gave me my first job. And I remember, because I never had earned an honest dollar up to that point. Uh, so uh, I was uh, working with him uh, doing uh, hardwood floors. And, and my check was $321, first check, which I had honestly earned. It was just the best feeling ever. And so I went to a hobby store in Los Angeles, and I bought myself a kite. 
His autobiography, The Shot Caller, has recently been picked up by a Hollywood director on Casey's condition that Jesus Christ is clearly credited for his transformation. Casey is now married, is the proud father of three children, and is a business owner. He teaches at his church and speaks across the nation, sharing his remarkable testimony. What if Jesus had never been born? I would be serving a life sentence or I would have been dead. And there would have been no hope for me and for the many, many men that have come to Christ through what God has done in my life. Hi, I'm Jennifer Kennedy Cassidy. My dad, Dr. D. James Kennedy, was absolutely passionate about the power of Jesus to transform people and cultures. That's why this program is called Truths That Transform. You've just seen how Christ radically transformed the life of former gang member Casey Diaz. And you saw earlier in the program how Jesus transformed the way cultures value all human life. But did you know that the coming of Jesus also led to enormous advances in science and even to the founding of America? In order to proclaim those historical truths, my father wrote the best-selling book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And we've just republished it in a new ministry edition, which we'd like to send to you as our thanks for your generous donation to help this ministry broadcast the gospel and refute the lies of the world with the truth of the Bible. In this powerhouse book, co-written with Jerry Newcomb, my dad shows how the coming of Christ powerfully changed the course of humanity, touching and transforming science, healthcare, regard for life, music, the arts, law, justice, and more. And if you're able to give a generous donation of $100 or more, we'll send you the book plus two DVD copies of our brand new special documentary, also named, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? You've seen a portion of this documentary here on this program, but you'll want to see the whole program, which features scholars, authors, and pastors refuting the skeptics who say Christianity is harmful and regressive. Experts on the program include Vodi Bakum, Oz Guinness, and H.B. Charles, and many others exploring how Christ revolutionized science, brought literacy and education to the masses, and even led to the founding of America. Contact us right away with your generous donation to receive my dad's book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born, as our thanks. And we'll thank you for a generous gift of $100 or more by sending you the book plus two DVD copies of the What If Jesus Had Never Been Born documentary. One to keep and one to share with a family member or friend. As we celebrate Christmas, we also have a very special opportunity for you. Some generous friends at this ministry have established a $100,000 Hope of the World Matching Challenge. They will match your donation to our ministry up to the total of $100,000, which is a wonderful chance to double your Christ-honoring impact as you help us proclaim the hope of the gospel and launch our ambitious 2023 projects, including a new podcast with Pastor Rob Pacienza, the relaunching of our Center for Christian Statesmanship in Washington, D.C., and gospel broadcasts in Russia and Ukraine. So please, Partner with us now to impact the world for Christ in the upcoming year.
Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 877-962-7677, or go online to djkm.org. What a powerful story of transformation. Only the risen Jesus Christ can turn someone from a murderous gang member into a loving husband and father who seeks to bring people to salvation and eternal life. So, what about you? We've looked at the incomparable impact of Christ in so many different spheres of human life. But the question is, has Christ impacted your life? This Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world in human flesh a little over 2,000 years ago and ushered in a profound change. He came in love because we, who are created in God's image, had fallen into sin. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because God is perfectly righteous, just, and holy, our sins against Him have consequences. You know that you have disobeyed Him. You know that you have broken His commandments. That's sin, and you deserve God's eternal punishment for your sins, as I do for mine. But here's the amazing truth about why Jesus came. The Bible tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus did not leave us here in our sins. Instead, he came and gave himself to be executed on the cross as a punishment for our sins. He had no sin of his own, but he took ours upon himself at the cross. His death paid the price for all who would turn away from their sins and come to him. And he rose again from the dead to declare his victory over death and sin. That victory is available for you right now. If you have never received Christ, pray this short prayer with me. Father God, I know that I've broken your law. I've lived to fulfill my own desires rather than your will for me. I want to turn away from my sins and be saved. I want Jesus to come into my life and transform me. I'm putting my trust in what he has done for me and nothing else for my forgiveness. And Lord, I humbly accept the gift of eternal life you're offering me in Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. If you sincerely prayed that prayer for the first time, we have a gift we'd like to send you at no cost or obligation to you. It's beginning again. Dr. Kennedy's book for new believers to guide you in your relationship with Jesus. Contact us to receive a copy today and may God bless you as you do. A world in which Jesus had never been born would be a dark place indeed. My pastor as a young Christian, Dr. D. James Kennedy, was passionate about proclaiming the glory of Christ in every area of life, from science to education, from the arts to the value of human life. And it's an honor for me to occupy his pulpit now at the historic Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale and continue that mission. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you come join us for services here. And you can live stream them as well at crpc.tv. I'm Pastor Rob Pacienza. Thank you for joining us for this special program and have a very Merry Christmas.
This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.